scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. If I throw this at you, will I catch you? You won't Nah, I think you just stand. Come on! I'm one of a kind! I deserve the Master Ball! Uh, I think an Ultra Ball would be just fine. Nah. That's so fucking offensive. I need a fucking Nest Ball. God Why? Because you're a bug. Because you. No, because you like the grass. God damn it. You're right, though. Yeah. Speaking of. <laughs> Please hold for bong rip. Oh, uh, no. It's a pipe rip. I did find Houdini. I had hidden Houdini somewhere. You mean the over plastic the past, bottle? Over the past couple months. No, nah, yeah. he can go away. And he can him. stay buried. No, he's good. He's still good. Ever since I put the broken bong slot in there, it, it actually it pulls pretty good. Yeah. Is that the Gatorade bottle? No, it was an old, uh, I think it was an old water bottle. Nice. Keeping it classy. H2O. H2O. Ho, ho, ho. I'm one sec. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you. I'm asking her if we could push back. No. Push back. But I want I want to go to brunch. And I know me specifically, too. Specifically, if I'm having already to drive you back to Philly before I go, before I go all the way to Philly, basically. You might as well eat. I might as well fucking eat before I have, before you have debaucherous sex. Puss. Yeah, you might as well have some protein before you get in that puss. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we gotta, we gotta start, uh, talking about stuff because this is lots of pasta episode 88 uh the first thing i wanted to talk about was um you're you're still gonna be living here before episode 100 you will not have graced the eternal planes just yet no i will transcend into this infernal state into I will shed this mortal coil of Pennsylvania um, and leave yeah, to, to an undisclosed location. To an undisclosed location that doesn't that, that never really quite <coughs> mattered anyway. Like locations and names and nothing. No specifics uh, yeah, really, exactly. really. The matter only thing that matters is that I'm Franz McBoohoo. This is him, the original gangster, but craziest I, hater. But I had the thought that like. Man, maybe you'll actually start listening to this show when you don't see me every day. You know, maybe not. (laughs) You know, no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, oh, I've got a cap pull. (laughs) Cheers, bud. Yeah, cheers. (gasps) Straighten your leg out, baby. What are you doing? Straighten your leg out. Oh. Oh, it's so Oh, that was rough. Did you see my cap? I saw a fucking vein. <laughs> it shot off your entire fucking leg. Oh, oh, baby. But yeah, no, I won't listen. <laughs> so the next uh, order of business. I have to kind of see what she's saying. I'm sorry. It's fine. You know what? Listen, death 
is about to... Okay, yeah, we pushed it back. We're good. Yo, I'm getting brunch with death tomorrow. Yeah, as long as we could get in and get out of there in like an hour, then like... Yeah. Less than, yeah. Less than two hours. So, so. And we'll, we'll get up earlier and we'll go. Well, 9.30, 10-ish. Okay. Get over there by a little bit before 10.30. Okay. Get well, we there. just gotta get, get out the, of there by 11.30. We gotta get the address of where we're going. Yeah, we're probably gonna have to get up a little bit earlier. That's fine. That's fine. Um, right, so we gotta talk about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had my topics up, and I wanted to talk about a couple things. Okay. Um, the first order of business is Channel Zero's Season 3 just ended... And it was fucking phenomenal. And anyone who had listened to any of Django's episodes and followed along with the Search and Rescue series, like, maybe you got a couple winks uh, in the final episode there because they kind of touch on, you know, anything from, you know, pagan gods to the the, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, uh, Pestilence. Or no, I think Pestilence is the second or third. Because uh, isn't isn't death last riding the pale horse? I believe so. Yeah, because death is supposed to be um, the Antichrist, right? Yes. Anyway, even if we didn't get that right, it doesn't matter. There are so many like little winks and nods in that last episode, and uh, there's like a meat guy that's just like walking around. He's like all made out of. It's like a dude without skin, but he he looks like he's made out of assorted meats, and that was kind of like a fun little poke at a search and rescue story. But um, tons of tons of great sound effects too is what I picked up on on the sixth episode because each Channel Zero season is only six episodes. It's real easy to get through each of them: Candle Cove, Noah and House, and Butcher's Block, and they each are directed kind of like a different way. The the first season is very indie horror. The second season is very art house horror. The third season is very old school, kind of 70s supernatural, like The Shining, or like Hellraiser, or like uh, Sus- Suspiria, you know, like that old school 80s classy horror shit. Yeah, fucking uh, so good. Uh, Rutger Hauer's performance, like, that guy's a fucking gem, mm-hmm. and and he is so old that by the time this fucking comes out... He'll be dead. He's probably going to be dead. That's not true. I don't want that to be true. He, You're going to take him, Death! He was great in Blade Runner. That was like his first big movie. He played the, the main bad guy in Blade Runner. And he's not even a bad guy. You know, he's just... He realizes that he's an android and that he's living on a battery and he's going to die in less than four years... And he's trying to get his creator to make him a bigger battery, and his creator literally just says no. You know, it's kind of like a Frankenstein thing. He's he's just sad, being given life and then realizing it's so short. So Rucker Hauer, he left such an impression on me back then when I first watched Blade Runner that seeing him be both the kind of... He's set up as the main bad guy, but you never see him do anything really, truly evil in Butcher's Block that you're almost sympathetic with him in his plight, even though he is a immortal cannibalistic god of sorts. Mm. Anyway, that was fucking awesome, and pe- more people need to watch um, Butcher's Block, because uh, season four is coming out in October, and that's going to be based off of a story <clears throat> we actually haven't read yet. 
Uh, if we have time at the end of this episode, I think we should read it just because it's it's four pages. Yeah. And, and they're basing a six episode fucking series on on these you know four pages. Maybe we could start with that since it's so short. Yeah. And guys, let me tell you right now, I'm gonna be really upfront with you. If you have a butcher's block. Yeah. You better fucking put some beeswax on that and polish it and take Actually, care of it. Yeah. Or else it's going to warp yeah. and crack and then you're fucked. Yeah. And, then, and then you're going to have two butcher's blocks because that shit's going to crack in half. So the reason it's called butcher's block is that's the street. That's the area that uh, it's like the downtown section of where the show takes place and where all the people go missing. And mm. you find out. The people are being abducted by Rucker Hauer and his family, and they're eating them. And they're taking them to Butcher's Barack. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what happened to me today? Hmm. When I was at work, I met one of the original actors from the original production on Broadway of 42nd Street. Really? Met him and his husband today. That's fucking awesome. Had a really awesome, like, 30-minute conversation with him. Wow. The experience of... Yeah, and he used to being te- up on that stage. Yeah, and he used to teach at the Peabody Conservatory. Nice. Yeah. And then my boss was like, "Yo, he sings. He's taking lessons." And he was like, "Do you sing anymore?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "You're stupid." He was like, "You're stupid." So, uh, so you shared him. Um, you you shared with him episode eight. From lots of pasta. I, I didn't. Where? I did not. I did not have the chance. <laughs> Where are you? Um, oh no, it's not eight. It's uh, I sing in almost all. Of them. It's sixty nine. In episode sixty nine, you uh, you sing entire sections of a story. That's fantastic. But no, I didn't get the chance to do that. It's unfortunate. And I'm stupid. <laughs> Take a big old drink. I want to know. How is that, by the way? Well, other than being interrupted, it's pretty good. A little less ice. Uh, I feel like uh, I want to just drink. You know what? Let me tell you what. When bartenders put a lot of ice in your drink, you think they're trying to cheap you out of drinks. But no, you know what it is? Because they know you'll fucking drink it in a minute. Like me. I don't don't sip. I drink. This ice is preventing me from drinking. No, uh, the reason I put a lot of ice is because I know those ice cubes are like slivers, and at one point they're all just gonna fucking disappear. So, I like I like thick ice cubes that sit at the bottom of my whiskey and kind of water it down as I drink. Yo, I like when so that's how I drink. That's how I drink whiskey. Ah, I like when thick things disappear. <laughs> I don't, Into I don't. my ass. So the next oh, no. the next <laughs> the next topic that we have to bring up uh, the next topic we have. The next topic I have to bring up is... My ass. I watched... I've been watching a lot of horror movies and a lot of things that have, like, horror twists and turns, and I have to bring them up, and I... I recently watched, for the first time ever, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. (gasps) I watched it the same night I watched Gutter Balls, which was a lot of fun, and I talk about it in episode 75. Um, How'd you feel about it? Killer Clowns. Yeah, let's talk about it. Really liked it. I really liked it. I um, I I loved the homemade everything. You know those. It's a it's a it's a. I think it's a trio of brothers that built all the costumes themselves, uh-huh. filmed the movie themselves, um, in a town that they lived in, and 
raised the budget and did and self-published, you know, did, did everything. And they've been trying to kickstart doing either a, a TV series about the characters older when the aliens come back or another another couple movies you know, that the cl- they're trying to raise. Clowns are fucking, fucking ugly in that movie. And you, you, yeah, they are. Did I ever yeah. tell you the story about it's me in that movie? Did I ever tell you the story? No, you've never talked about Color Clowns from Outer Space. Alright, I hope you guys are ready. I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. I'm going to try to do it in two minutes. Okay. Went on a date with this guy. Mm-hmm. Came back to my house after a nice walk. He was white, by the way. Totally unlike me. Anyway, he was like, let's put on a movie. Let's say, uh, you know, put on, put on a movie in the background. Not like we're really going to watch it. Yeah, I do. I, do. I was like, alright, man, I'm going to give you... I'm gonna give you free reign here. He puts on Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Hmm. We got That's an interesting fucking choice. We got about halfway through before things start to get heated. And, uh... During sex, you look over at the TV and you see a fucking clown. Actually, uh, this was the one that I told you about where he snuck it in, but didn't tell me he was gonna try to sneak it in. Oh, And then I was shit. like, no, my good sir! Yeah. Yeah. And then we went back out and then we watched more of it while he wanted to snuggle. Huh. Not really the kind of movie I'd want to fucking no. snug to. It was very 90s Joe Dante esque, where it's like there are no real stakes despite the fact that everyone is like supposedly dying or being abducted. And it doesn't really ever really <coughs> truly take itself seriously. And. I can't even imagine watching maybe the first half hour of that and then being told suck dick. Take my dick. Yeah, well, you know what? I uh, never saw him again after that. Yeah. My choice. And uh, I never watched that movie again. Also my choice. Yeah. And good on you. Yeah, you know. Because as much as I like the movie, that's just... um, you don't put that on. You put on, like, a light romantic comedy, or you put on a, a superhero movie. I would have just put on, like, I don't know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I mean, I was... Movies. But, uh, yeah. Movie, I, yeah. I would always put on a TV show, rather, instead of a movie. Because then, like, you come back into, like, a nothing. Like, it's not even playing anymore. You know, one time I put on an episode of PewDiePie with, uh... <laughs> with my ex, and, uh... He just. This uh, podcast in no way uh, relates itself to PewDiePie. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, neither neither do they uh, recommend you going out of your way to actually watch PewDiePie. Uh, you, you know, you know what? I like PewDiePie. I mean, he's he's changed drastically. But all I'll say is, it's hard for a man to orgasm while watching him or listening yeah, to him. Yeah. So, don't put that on, ladies and gents, if you're trying to get it up. You know, just bring I, it down. Yeah, I would agree with you. Because, like, who wants to listen to, you know, like, a Norwegian dude just cursing? I mean, he, I, I don't and know. And also, it depends on what LP you were watching. Oh, it was, uh, it, uh, uh, let me see if I remember. Pretty sure it was just a compilation of some of his scariest. Which uh, is just him just screaming the whole yeah. time. Although, yeah, that's not going to do Although, anything. there's a really great one where, like, he... <laughs> 
he does a holler back girl one who quits the funny song and it's I think he's playing around in like the bedroom of amnesia or something and he's like slapping stuff around and like he just makes an uh noise and he just repeats it constantly but then he starts doing the holler back girl beat it's yeah. fantastic <sighs> oh well anyway also I take my whiskey with no ice interesting take it straight the only straight thing I take, yeah. except a penis, that's got to be straight. Yeah. Flaccid, it's like, what's the point? Uh, well, I mean, also, if there's like a 90 degree bend, I mean, where the fuck you putting it? Ow, God, shit. You know? it's, he's not fucking you, he's fucking around the corner. He's fucking my thigh. Like, oh, shit. You know, what are you really going to do? <coughs> oh, my belly I'm going to start off with this short story. I'm just going to get through it because I don't know what this is. But apparently they're basing season four of Channel Zero off, ah. off of this, off of these four pages, or they're taking this idea and building a six-episode arc out of it. It's called "I Found a Hidden Door in My Cellar, and I Think I've Made a Big Mistake." Um, it's a crack den. Is you- that? I was gonna ask. What do you think's in the cellar? What do you what do you think's behind the hidden door? Well, you know, I mean, you think all your cellars are just regular cellars, and you get down there, and you got it's a crack den. Crack basement. Crack den. See, my, my mind goes to, um, unfortunately, the like a disappointments room. You know, like a like a Amityville horror kind of thing where it's like they lock a, a family member that's either like mentally handi- or physically handicapped down there to kind of like die or not see anyone, you know, like the, the Kennedy sister where it's just like they... They hid her away because they were embarrassed of people seeing her, you know, like... You know why they put her down there? Why? Because she didn't give Daddy a taste. And Daddy always uh, gives a taste. (coughs) I really don't know what... (coughs) I like the idea, because I live in a basement myself. We do have a cellar uh, trap door of sorts and and, and storage space. Absolutely. Uh, There there is probably um, a space just as large as this room... Behind my room, there's that little door. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that. So, um, hopefully this story isn't super fucking scary. And, uh, if it is, well, you know what? They make depends for a reason. And feel free to just take a big old shit and a piss in your, in your, in your diaper. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you can <laughs> stick it up your ass. <laughs> Please continue. And you're not even smoking. You're just fucking coughing. Actually, I'm wheezing. Wheezing! Cover! This story is from Reddit No Sleep. I found a hidden door in my cellar, and I think I've made a big mistake. My wife and I have lived in our house for around five years, and in that time, we've probably been down in the cellar a handful of times. Our house is an old Victorian terrace house, and so the cellar is cold and damp. When we first moved in, we kept wine and stuff down there because my wife liked the idea of telling people we had a wine cellar. But it got annoying going down there every time, so we stopped using it. It's like uh, like my mom's house. They're just like your mom. Yes. There's only the two of us living here, so we never really needed to use it for the storage space. A few weeks ago, we decided we were going to renovate it, maybe turn it into a mini gym or something. So at the weekend, we went down and began cleaning it up, 
The cellar has a stone floor, but the walls were covered in this horrible, yellowed floral wallpaper. It looked old as hell, and I assumed it was put up decades ago, so we began to strip the wallpaper, and that's when we found the door. Covered up with the wallpaper, the door was set into the wall. It was plain wood, and the door handle had been removed so that it was flat. We were pretty stumped at how we hadn't noticed this before, how it had blended so well with the rest of the wall. But at this point, I was pretty excited that we'd found a secret door, so I largely overlooked its oddness. All the houses in our street have cellars, so I assumed it must be an old doorway leading through to the next door cellar. We decided that we'd go around to our neighbors tomorrow morning and tell them about the doorway, suggesting we brick it up or something. I didn't really feel comfortable about having this access point in our house. My wife tried to look through the small circle hole in the door where the handle had been removed, but it was pitch black in there. So, because we're nosy, we used the torch on our phone to peek through the hole. So it's in Britain, because only they call it torches. Yeah. My wife looked first. She suddenly went still. This doesn't go into next door cellar, she said slowly, moving back from the door. I frowned and took her phone, looking for myself. Instead of the cellar, there were stone steps leading downwards. I couldn't see very far with the light from the phone, so I brought down my big torch and managed to get the door open. We looked down the stairs with the torch, they weren't very long, and at the end of the stairway was another door. This one looked really old. Wooden panels kept together with metal columns. It even had one of those metal ring handles. Like fucking Skyrim or something. Yeah, I bet he's taking that torch to her dark hole right now. It didn't make sense how this could be here. Even though it was going down, the beginning of the stairway would still cut into next door's cellar. We'd been in his cellar for drinks a few times, which had been done up in a games room with a bar and pool table, and I had never noticed a big jut out from the wall that would cover a stairway, or that it was smaller than our cellar if there was a whole wall blocking it off. My wife thought we should probably talk with him before going down and left, but I was too curious about the whole thing. So I took the torch and went down. I tried the handle, and it was a bit stiff, but I was completely took by surprise that it opened. I was completely taken. You illiterate. Oh, this shit completely shooketh. I shone the torch inside. <clears throat> it was a concrete room, similar looking to our cellar, but smaller. And this was the only entrance or exit that I could see. I waved the torch around and nearly jumped out of my skin. There was a man. Stood at the back of the wall, facing the wall, his back to me. It is, um... I'm gonna hate that I can't think of the fucking name. Well, I was gonna say, uh... Blair Witch. Yeah, what's the name of the guy who told people to look in the corners? Uh... It's not Ellie. Ellie is the gangly limbed one from Blair Witch 2016, but they tell a story in the 90s movie and in... Yeah. It'll, it'll come back to me. <clears throat> it's like Rupert. You know, Ridley or something. Ridley? Believe it or not. He was completely still wearing a black suit and black rimmed hat. The man was so still that I began to think he might be a mannequin until he slowly lifted one foot. 
I stood transfixed, my torch light trained on him. It was just bright enough to illuminate his body, but the rest of the room was in complete darkness. He held his foot still in the air before slowly moving it a step backwards. His movements were unnatural and jerky, like someone who didn't fully understand how to walk. He stayed like that for a moment, completely still, one foot placed back. Then he lifted his other foot in the same jerky movement. This time, when he stepped back, his foot slammed on the floor. The sound shooketh me out of my frozen state, and I jumped back. As soon as I moved, it was like I'd triggered something, and suddenly he moved so quick. He was running backwards towards me, his legs jerking around unnaturally. Writing this down, it sounds kind of funny, but at the time it was utterly terrifying. I've never seen someone move that way before. I instinctively threw the torch at him. Maybe I thought I could knock him out or something, I honestly don't know. And legged it back up the stairs, slamming the door shut behind me and running up the stairs leading out of the cellar, slamming that door shut too. I hesitated by the door, barricading it with my arm, trying to control my breathing and understand what I just witnessed. I heard the sound of the door push open in the cellar, and then what sounded like a huge lump of flesh dragging along the floor. I thought I began to hear what sounded like a low hissing noise, at which point I ran out of the house yelling my wife's name. She was stood on the front step of our neighbors, talking to him. I grabbed her and pulled her to the other side of the road, yelling for my neighbor to get away from the house. Without waiting to explain to them what I saw, I grabbed my phone and called the police. We all stood there in the dark, my neighbor in his robe and slippers looking at the house. After a few moments, I saw the lights that we'd left flicker through our kitchen window. And then they went out completely. All I remember was holding my wife's hand so tightly, looking up into our dark windows and waiting for the police to arrive. They found no one in the house, but the cellar door was open, and so was our back door. They checked our garden, but found no one, and no footprints or signs of someone being there. They brought a team over to check out the hidden room we found. My neighbor claimed no knowledge of the room and that he too couldn't understand how the stairs and room could possibly exist, could fit in between our two cellars. The police couldn't explain it any more than we could. I didn't want to go, I didn't ever want to go back in there, so they showed us photos of the walls inside that room. The concrete was carved with symbols and they found what looked like centuries-old dried blood. They had the symbols sent to our local university's history department, but no one knew what they meant. They sealed off the room, and we've never gone down into the cellar again. I think we've made a huge mistake that day in opening that door and going into that room. I think we set something free that day, something that someone had locked up for, for a reason. And I don't think it's good. What's all this wee shit? <laughs> He's the one who yeah. went down there into that room and set something free. If I was his wife and I read this story, I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> I didn't let out no fucking spooky goth, so, goth fucking what's fedora wearing asshole. So, you know what it was? The husband was Rick and Morty. The wife was Adult Swim. The door was McDonald's. The man was Szechuan sauce. Who <coughs> would already confirm six six six? That was a that was a <coughs> terrible metaphor. No, it wasn't. It was true. It was truth. It was truth. Um, I am slime. Sugar. So. So what do you? Who do you think the thing was? What do you think the thing was? Alcoholism. 
I tended to think it was some kind of demon or devil because they <coughs> said um, they said the footsteps turned into something <coughs> slithering and hissing. So I, I think the person or spirit like turned into a snake. Maybe it's Voldemort. I don't know. I think it's alcoholism. Okay, explain. Uh, I mean, it's it's a really interesting. They mentioned battle. wine once. They mentioned what? Wine. Yeah, absolutely. But hey. they only meant they didn't even mention drinking it. What else are you gonna do with it? Douche with it? Butt chug bottles of wine? <clears throat> I know Cersei would have. Oh, yeah, she would have done that in every orifice, every orifice wine. Maybe that's what her and her brother do. She is dying. She is the living embodiment of Dionysus. No, Dionysus is described as a fat, rich, jolly fellow, kind of like Santa Claus that spends his day on the top of a fucking hill under a grape tree, stepping on grapes, making wine, and drinking it, and but, but everyone, no, but getting no. everyone else fucked up. But now, he, but now imagine this. Imagine this, if you will. What if Cersei had a sex change and went to Jenny Craig's? Hey? So I really like that story. Yeah, but... <laughs> me too. <laughs> And I'm and I'm I'm super interested in how the fuck they're gonna stretch that out. I mean, maybe it's first episode as they open the door, episodes two through six, they kind of deal with the spirit that yeah. I just wanna know, like, why that? There are so many other stories that they could have adapted. Because uh, I don't here's here's the shitty news. The shitty news is Channel Zero pff, hasn't been renewed past season four yet. They started filming it recently, hasn't been renewed yet. Three just ended with great reviews, <coughs> low audience score, like low, low watch. <coughs> well, that sucks. Not many people have watched it, so a lot of people on the Reddit and, you know, everything else is, like, howling. They're just like, save this fucking show. Why isn't this show as popular as, you know, American Horror Story? It's, it's, it's clearly better. In, it's because in, Ryan Murphy is a fantastic writer. They eat, that I don't even I don't even agree with that. I think Ryan Murphy is up Fox's ass so much that Fox in itself is just a, a highly publicized studio, whereas Sci-Fi is relatively regarded as bullshit so, and nonsense. So what you're saying is Ryan Murphy and Fox both share the same asshole. Yes. And they have formed a sixty-nine centipede. Yes. Okay. So, I don't know if we're going to get more seasons of Channel Zero after four, and that's really upsetting because there are so many better fucking stories that they could spend their money on. Uh, like, I could think of, like, Odd Kids, or uh, do you, uh, have you seen a painting of this hallway? Like, there are so many more haunting stories that have never been done before, but he chooses to use, and this is Nick, this is, this, uh, this statement goes directly to Nick Antosca of all four seasons. Uh, the basement ghost thing has been done before. Candle Cove hasn't. Butcher's Block hasn't. No End House arguably is the least original of the three. But basement ghost thing has been done before. I don't think child skin suits of bug creatures or weird demon in painting has been done before, you know? That's not true. Ghostbusters too. Anyway, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on. I had a really lucid dream the other day where like 
the technology was real, and, like, I decided to start a ghost-busting agency. Oh my god, I hope I was a part of it. I think you were. I better have been. I don't remember specifics of my dreams. I just remember waking up and going, man, Ghostbusters 2016 really sucked dick, didn't it? Yeah, it did. So, um... We're going to hop into another story that's probably going to... It's going to take up the rest of this episode, so I hope people like it. It's a <coughs> monthly winner on Reddit No Sleep called The Lucienne Twins. And what made you, like, want to read this? Because it made me think of the Lutess Twins from... Bioshock, uh, Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite. And I was like, yo, they both start with an L. And they're twins. I'm down. That's really interesting because I hadn't thought of them once. When I think of um, when I think of Reddit No Sleep and twins, I think of like those stories that circulate sometimes where they're like, they always apparently are like true. You know, like the true stories of t- paranormal shit with twins. Uh-huh. Like you know about that. Like the the Nazis did research on twin communication and feeling, yep. you know. It's said that if a twin <clears throat> across the world gets, like, heart disease, that suddenly the one across the fucking planet starts to feel pain in their heart, you know, like, weird shit. Uh-huh. So do you think this story is gonna, like, do something like that? Yeah, stay tuned and we'll find out. Sure. So this story's called The Lucienne Twins. <clears throat> I will never forget the Lucienne Twins. Even after 10 years, they are still fresh in my memory. Too fresh. It was my first year of teaching when they were in my class. My fresh college diploma was framed on my desk, and I had placed a signed picture of my favorite professor, now deceased, on the wall behind me. It's a weird name. Professor now deceased? Professor now deceased. On the wall behind me. In cursive, it read, To Mary, my brightest, that you may teach the world. What a guy. Yeah, he sounds like a drunk, but I can appreciate that, because I am also drinking. I watched over my kindergarten class as if they were my own children. Oh, so they're kids. But the Lucienne twins were my favorite. There was Abigail... The blonde one with a minuscule nose, and Bridget, shorter with brunette hair. Miss Mary! Abigail would start tugging on my dress before Bridget continued. We were wandering! No, they're twins. They don't have to have the same voice. Oh, they're absolutely gonna be them. That's the point of the story. If you if you start giving them different voices now, you're gonna ruin some kind of twist later on. More like, ruin some kind of twit later on. I'll start fresh. Miss Mary? Abigail would start tugging on my dress before Bridget continued. We- <coughs> I just expected you to do like the same voice over again. <laughs> Bridget's a smoker. We were wondering. Abigail would take over. If we could go to the sticker box. Bridget would now speak. I'm just letting you know that I'm not going to do that voice when it's my turn to read. Well, then fuck you. (laughs) And of course, there was no way I could say not to the couple. They were irresistible from their broken sentences to the heart-shaped lockets they wore that were embossed with their names. 
I could never imagine something happening to them, but fate follows no rules. And something did. Word about the car crash spread quick around the school faster than the ambulance could reach the hospital. <clears throat> it had been seen at the intersection where a pickup truck had slammed to the side of their compact car on their Friday morning commute. The driver had still been drunk from the night before. The gas tank was immediately ruptured, spewing the right side of the car with fuel, and flames licked up through the back seat. Bridget was strapped into the car seat above them, <clears throat> and rumor was that Abigail watched her twin burn alive. When the fireman freed Abigail, she threw herself onto the smoking, smoldering bones of Bridget, and her sister's red, hot locket branded itself into her earlobe. The body of a single mother survived, but the toll of the lost daughter sickened her soul. Abigail returned to class two weeks later. The hair on the right side of her head was singed and steadily grew back, though the color was darker. A doctor's inspection revealed nothing else wrong with her except a deafness in her right ear. Hushed voices in the school hallways whispered her eardrum imploded by the sheer loudness of her sister's dying screams. But most unnerving was her sister's name, scarred into the lobe of her deaf ear and surrounded by the outline of a heart-shaped locket. That is... That sucks ass. Fucked up. And, and I like how they mentioned that her hair color kind of changed to match Bridget's a little bit. From then on, no student would sit on the right side of Abigail, and I had to rearrange the seating charts to place her next to the wall. Abigail seemed content there, in an island of isolation. Before her sister died, they rarely conversed with the other students, and now it was no different. In social time, I would hear Abigail talking to the wall in incoherent sentences. Abigail, honey, what are you saying? <laughs> <coughs> I asked a week later after she returned. Oh, Mr. Neal. Do you think she'd be that happy? After a fucking... <laughs> She said, I'm... Then she would pause, waiting. And then we thought... Another pause. Silent. And we can, can we? Sure you can, honey. I replied. Though the exchange made my hair stand on end. She smiled again and cocked her ear right. The deaf one onto the wall, pausing again, then speaking. She said yes! Then the gibberish continued, and the closing bell rang. It wasn't until I drove halfway home that I realized the gaps in Abigail's conversation were where Bridget should be speaking. Months really, you didn't get that? From her looking at the wall, talking to it, and then turning back. Well, maybe I'm an alcoholic and I don't have time to And what kind of fucking teacher, after a traumatic incident, (coughs) chooses to isolate the saddened fucking... Oh my god. I don't know. Why is everybody trying to pass judgment on me? The fact that there are like 17 more fucking pages about this chick being surprised... 
that this little girl is gonna be either haunted or psychotic. Like, yeah. no, you're doing all the wrong things. You absolutely deserve this. Anyway, I can't tell you what's happening in this teacher's mind, but let's put a pin in that and let's uh, let's let's find out what's gonna happen. It wasn't until I drove halfway. Uh, <coughs> we already said that. Months passed, and Abigail became even more of an outcast in the class. The kindergartners came to forget the disaster, and some students even began bullying Abigail. I revised the seating chart again and moved her close to my desk. Miss Clambered Abigail one day, pulling my dress. She stumbled, and I reached to catch her, but she fell against my professor's portrait on the wall, shattering the protective glass that cut! She picked up the remains, the glass biting deep into her soft palms. She didn't notice. I'm sorry, Miss Mary! She said, and her voice changed to tenor. We need to break it! Again, the pitch changed. Your picture! I stopped. It was her first complete sentence since the crash. It's okay! I said, holding her. Blood from her hands dripped onto me, but it felt cold. And I rushed to bandage it. I'm sure you will teach the world one day, Miss Mary. She said, her voice continuing the inflections. <clears throat> My heart froze as I could read the note on the portrait for the thousandth time. Abigail couldn't read cursive. How did you know that? I asked. Bridget told me. She talks to him now. She said, curling her streak of darker hair around her finger. That's not all she tells me. She tells me terrible things sometimes. And I can't stop hearing her. Then she started crying and noticed the glass embedded deep into her hands. She never stops. Her voice elevated to a yell. Then I took the picture back. Her sentences became broken again, and I moved her on the seating chart away from my desk. Over time, the other students re realized Abigail's reaction to old objects. They'd bring her things that they found in the attic, artifacts their grandparents owned, and watched as she cocked her right ear and heard sentences become whole or broken when she held them. It became a game to them. Listening to their stories, she made up, but the effect took an obvious toll on her, and soon she started wearing gloves, even in the dead heat of summer. But one boy, larger than the others, a brute known for his bullying, liked the look on Abigail's face as they pushed artifacts into her squirming palms. He was the quickest to see the fear she felt when they gave her an old bullet shell and ran home afterwards to find an old box in his basement his parents forbade him to open inside was his grandfather's Nazi uniform a warden at a concentration camp he twisted off one of the buttons yeah I don't think so that's like a one in a million uh, I don't I don't quite believe uh, a random kid's grandparent would be a fucking Nazi concentration camp warden. I mean, it's a small world. <sighs> I could be 
a Nazi concentration camp warden. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fucking weird. <laughs> How do you like my uh, my my take on the girl's voice now? I like it. I know it's completely wrong, but I just it's I not like no it. wrong. It's there's no matter of wrong. It's you're making the inflection, and that's that's the point of the reading. I can't really go. I, she's doing she's doing a um. What is it called when someone converses with the spirits? Their possession. No, well, it's no that uh, clairvoyant. Or they're they're a medium for this. Yeah, they're a medium. They're a clairvoyant. <laughs> they're a clairvoyant. They um, you know. They're like the people who run the parlors <coughs> that people come into, and they're just like, uh, you know, my husband died, and I'm sad, yeah. but I still feel him there. And they're like, oh, if you pay Madame Leota $30. <laughs> oh, the mystic bones they were rattled for you, yeah, child. Yeah. You know, I think Abigail has a really good market in the future as a televangelist. I was, I was actually going to say that she should bring this shit on Maury. She would... She would get a fucking TV show. She's gonna be a good Joel Alstein. She, next, she's gonna be telling people they can't go in her church. Can I still keep reading for the kid and teach her? No. Just the accents and voices? You can't switch it up! We're already quarterly through. They're gonna be confused! No, they'll be fine. I hate you. I... You're getting better at it, but I think we're losing... We're losing just a little bit of how scary this could be because you're being... Well, you, need silly. To, you need to let me know when you want me to be silly. Well, no, I want you to do. I want you to do what you want, but I'm just saying that, like, when we switch off, like, I'm gonna do it my way. There might not even be dialogue on my pages. The next day, he found Abigail on the playground and pinned her against the chain link fence. He ripped the gloves off, ripped off her clothes, and forced the button against her hand. <laughs> Uh, when she began screaming, he only laughed and closed the fist tighter. Asshole. I reached them too late. When I pulled the boy off her, she was sobbing uncontrollably. Both of her hands locked into fists. She dropped the button like it was searing hot and refused to open the other fist. The paramedics arrived and knocked her out with anesthesia. Only then could they pull her severed right ear out torn off by her bloody fingernails with Bridget still written on the lobe. Jesus. But the most terrifying of all was when she screamed. I could hear two voices screaming. And we reached a part two, which is actually kind of kind of fun now. Now it's kind of fun. Because, <laughs> like, now I know that, like, this, this might have been, like, something, like a continued effort by this guy. Kind of fun. Yeah, I haven't been having fun this entire time. You don't like the story? <clears throat> the no, I, awesome. I do, but you, just the way you... Fuck off. No, I'm saying the, the fact that, like, the guy gave this serious thought and, like, set up, like, a chapter-like storytelling system. That just shows a certain caliber of the story. Yeah. And this is a Reddit No Sleep Monthly winner of, of, some, of one of the past months. I like the two-voice part. That's awesome. And I, uh... I do dislike the ripping off the ear thing, but I mean, um, she couldn't handle what her sis was telling her about exactly. the, about Nazis. So I get it, you know. Apparently, they were they like to have a lot of parties. Yeah. And uh, yeah, actually, they did. Abby's um, just a party pooper. Lots of them. Um, 
what's the uh, Lots H- of Hitler? Hitler liked to listen to um, one particular composer, Beethoven. No. Who? Nope. I thought you'd know. <clears throat> well, I know it's a, Be- it's, a, well, it's a joke, but um. Oh well, I was gonna say Beethoven originally comp. No, no, that was not. That was Napoleon. Never mind. Beethoven originally composed one of his pieces for Napoleon and then changed the title of it. To- no, it's it's a joke that a lot of people bring up. It's just like, oh, you're you're a Nazi, so you must listen to blank. Oh, uh, <clears throat> Nickelback. Part two. Ooh, I love the Nickelback, yeah. Part two. That Look at this photograph. Swedish. <laughs> I wish I could say that was the last I ever heard of the Lucian twins. I wish Abigail's story ended with the month she spent at the psychiatrist's office after the incident. But wishes rarely come true, and this was no exception. Abigail never came back to the school that year. A teacher that was her family friend gossiped with me over a cup of coffee in the break room three weeks later, filling in the details that had kept me awake deep into the night. She's staying at home until the whole thing blows over. Three times a week, she goes to counseling. Though, she won't talk to anyone and only eats if you put two plates in front of her. If you ask me, she was an accident waiting to happen. Poor thing. Her grandfather was just diagnosed with terminal cancer, too. And the doctors were able to sew the ear back on. Can you believe that? Apparently, you can barely even tell it came off. Miraculous. Miraculous. I'm not sure if that was the appropriate word. Or if they should have sewn it back. At the end of the year, the school board informed me that I would be moving to another school, a smaller institution for brighter children. I accepted, not because the pay was better, but because I knew it was their kind of way to fire me. I could hear their whispers. That I was the one who made the freak crack. So I packed away my things and was admitted into Carrie's school for the gifted. There were no current openings for kindergarten teachers, so I taught second grade. My first year went by smoothly, and I received a small bonus at the end for my students' high test scores. When I returned from the summer to start my second year, 19 out of the 20 desks were filled by young children, their fresh crayons tucked away in pencil bags that still smelled like Walmart. I smiled at them and introduced myself, writing my name on the board as I talked. Hello, class. My name is Mary Watkins, and I'll be your new second grade. Behind me, the classroom door opened, and I heard the footsteps of two students enter. The smile froze on my lips, and my marker jumped across the board as I heard her voice. Hi, Miss Mary! I turned. Abigail stood alone. In the center of the room, her silver locket dangled from her neck. Bridget was still burned into her right ear, which looked as if it had never been missing. We miss you. And maybe it was the lighting, but I could have sworn I saw two shadows. I sat Abigail near the windows, the sunlight 
calmed her when she spent most her time staring up into the clouds. Despite this, she still managed to test better than anyone else in the class. Once, realizing she was not paying attention, I called upon her for a simple arithmetic problem. Abigail, what's two times four? She continued to stare off, her eyes glassy, the rest of the class twisted in their chairs to watch. Abigail, I repeated, my high heels clinking against the tiles as I walked over to her. Still, no response, I waved a hand in front of her, face flexing my fingers, then touched her face. Abigail threw her head back and gasped, drawing in a breath so deep it was as if she'd been held underwater. Her desk rocked from the momentum, and I held it down, forcing my hands over the chilled wood. She thrashed, looking from left to right wildly. Abigail! Honey! I'm here! I shouted, and her eyes met mine. Tears spilled outwards, and she embraced me, her nails digging through my dress and into my shoulder. We're sorry, Miss Mary! We're so sorry! Shh, it's okay, Abigail. Everything's going to be okay. It was Bridget. She took me somewhere and we couldn't find our way back. It was dark and cold. She shivered. I suppressed my own shudder. You're here. You're back. She sighed and I released her. The recess bell rang, and the rest of the class hurried out, carrying lunchboxes away along questions that were too young to know the answers to. Questions that I, at 27, am still too young to know the answer to. Miss Mary, she said, when my back was turned. Bridget says the answer is eight. Since Abigail had returned, her speech had slightly improved. No longer were there intermittent pauses where Bridget used to speak, but the tenor of her voice continued to change as those intervals. It wasn't until four weeks into the semester that I realized why. In her front pocket, Abigail always carried a fountain pen. It was gray, the color of the clouds she watched outside the window, and came to a sharp point at one end. I like your pale, Abigail. Pale. I like your pale. Nice where, pale, Abigail. Where, where's the shovel? I like your pen, Abigail, I said one day, and she beamed, thrusting her pocket out like a badge of honor. Thanks, Miss Mary. My grandfather gave it to me. He writes storybooks. He wrote us one once, me and Bridget, and how'd we'd always be together. It had our lockets on the cover. Did he know? Well, that was sweet of him. I'm sure he's a nice man. I love him more than anything else in the world. It's just sad he can't visit anymore. Why is that, Abigail? He's in the hospital, Miss Mary. Bridget says she keeps him safe. And Daddy says everything is going to be alright. I'm sure it will be, I said, and left the discussion. I forgot about it. Until one day, Abigail misplaced her pen. Miss Mary, she tugged on my dress, her hand jerking urgently. And I had she's been, ready to take the dress off at I this had point. Been teaching the class cursive, but she walked up to the board like nothing was happening. We can't find. Pause. But we just had it. Pause. My pen. We need your help. My hair's raised. 
come-and-go speech pattern returned. Abigail, sit back down. I'll help you after the lesson. No, she shouted, stamping her foot. No, we need... Pause. Or else... Pause. We'll die. It would be fruitless trying to continue the lesson, so I helped her search. With every minute, she grew more frantic, throwing over rugs and backpacks in her search. When she was on the verge of tears, I found it underneath one of the bookshelves. She sighed. Thank you, Miss Mary. We're better now. There was still time. No pauses now, just inflections again. The two girls seated behind her sniggered. One was they, Natalie. They what? They sniggered. Sniggered. Like, <laughs> Isn't that snickered? There are multiple ways to say it. Oh, that's a very rough way. Nope, it's... It's been said. It is a, it is a word. Snickered. One was Natalie. A redhead with freckles peppered across her face, and the other was Jane, whose shoes were always shiny and school supplies always new. The week before, I had caught them poking Abigail during class, much to her distress. Why are kids the fucking worst? Because they're pieces I was just, I was just gonna say, this story will be perfectly fine as long as that bully thing doesn't happen anymore, but, but I think it's synonymous... <laughs> in understanding the American education system as being so laid back that there is no fucking ruler anymore. There's no, like, there's no care. So just kids are fucking assholes to each other and no one ever says anything. And it's so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. The amount of things that could just be, like, we wouldn't have fucking school shooters. And, you know mass murder on, like, a terrorist scale if people just learn not to be assholes at younger ages. Parents don't take the time to teach them that. No. No, and I think, um, I think our, our parents' generation is pretty fucked. So, it's not gonna yeah. be until our generation are the parents, and... Anyway. Bitches, man. I continued... Bitches and tricks. I continued my lesson and instructed the students to write a sentence of their choice in cursive. Abigail took the cap off her pen and, for the first time, used it to write an assignment. She took her time, eyes furrowed in concentration as she worked. The rest of the students had left when finished. She looked it over carefully, making adjustments for a full ten minutes before she turned it in. I let her work. Even after the transpired events, I had grown to love Abigail, and her dedication made me proud. I wanted to see what her handwriting would produce. You worked a long time on that, Abigail, I said as she walked up to my desk. I wanted it to be perfect, Miss Mary. This pen writes so beautifully. I love the ink. It's the most pretty blue. And it sparkles in the light. It certainly is. Go home now, Abigail. Your family will be waiting. The sheet was blank. There was no blue ink. She picked up her bags and headed out the door. She'd walk home from this school, and I hadn't seen her parents drive her over in over a week. When she was gone, I looked at her paper. I held it up to the light and could see the scratches. Could see the scratches the ink pen had made against the lines. Abigail belongs to me. 
Just before lunch the next day, Abigail's pen went missing again. We searched for 15 minutes, and each passing second, her panic became more evident. It wasn't under the bookshelf, or under the rug, or in her backpack whose contents she had strewn across the floor in rage. She shook, wrapping her hands around her face and pulling her hair. Behind her, I saw Natalie and Jane share a knowing look. A flash of gray gleamed from Natalie's pocket. She's such a baby, 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 taunted Natalie as I took the pen from her. The shrieks had already begun by the time I brought it to Abigail. She grasped it, her knuckles bone white, and for a moment all was silent. It's too late. He's gone, she whispered and looked me dead in the eyes. He's gone. Then she screamed so loud that I had to cover my ears and feared the windows would rupture. Baby, shouted Natalie, putting her hands on Abigail's desk. Her voice was drowned out. Abigail threw the pen as hard as she could at the board. It ricocheted, bouncing at an impossible angle, flying up above my head and slamming point first deep into Abigail's desk, straight through Natalie's right hand and pinning it to the wood. It was so embedded that I couldn't remove it, and Natalie had to wait the 15 minutes for the paramedics to arrive until she could move. They rushed her to the hospital, and the school board suspended Abigail for two weeks. She spent it in Pennsylvania at her grandfather's funeral. The day of the accident, he had died, and the doctor marked the time of death in thick blue ink at 11.44 a.m. <coughs> shit. That morning, I had returned the one-sentence assignment and Natalie's blood now stained Abigail's paper. On the way to throw it out, I stopped, something catching my eye. Under the blood, sparkly blue writing crossed the once blank sheet. Abigail belongs to me. Bridget's got some, some things, some issues. She died pretty terribly and now she's grudge-haunting her sister. She belongs to me now, and her name is Zen. That's really interesting. Just the way you said it kind of reminded me of um, the Lament Sisters, who sing the song, um, Tonight You Belong to Me. And I think they were twins. I don't know that song. I know, I know, in my heart, tonight you belong, but tonight you belong to me. No, you'll have to play it when this episode It's over. super fucking creepy. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Dr. Dead loves this song. He does not just like the, it. He loves her. I got the fucking words wrong. It doesn't matter. Part three. The most disturbing thing about Abigail wasn't her queer tendencies or her morbidly obese past. It was her innocence. This is such a good story and you're just shitting on it. You're just taking a fucking shit on it. You're treating it like such a joke. It's so good. Shit on the floor. It's time to get swifty on the story. The most disturbing thing about Abigail wasn't her queer tendencies or her morbid past. 
It was her innocence. It was that she didn't know that anything was wrong with her life. I know a couple women like that. Yeah. They just think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in general. The end of the year was near. The children grew antsy in their seats as old snow turned into the spring blossoms and final parent-teacher conferences were approaching. I moved Natalie and Jane to the other side of the classroom, but it didn't seem to matter. They avoided Abigail now. Everyone did. Jesus, they don't even change, <clears throat> change the girls' classes? I want to know how big this classroom is that she could just keep fucking moving seats. Well, classes typically have 30 people. At, like, a kindergarten age? Oh, absolutely. In, in my school district, there were at least 20 to 30 kids. All right, well... And this is second grade. Oh. She was quieter than she used to be, though she still held half conversations with the wall during social time. And the way she dressed had changed. Sometimes her clothes were too small, and sometimes they matched in ways that just seemed odd. Though the pen in her pocket stayed consistent. Her hair was different, too. She began to wear it in braids and other more complicated styles. I couldn't help but notice that the streak of brown in her blonde hair had grown. Abigail, honey, I don't think those clothes fit you just <laughs> right. Maybe you were onto something with the morbidly obese one. <laughs> I, I always know where I'm going with these things. You may think I'm making half-ass light-hearted comedy, but frowns, frowns always knows. He knows the morbidly obese, and he knows the queer tendencies. Because <laughs> I am both of them. <laughs> you're not morbidly obese. I'm getting there. No, you're not. Ab Abigail, honey. No, I she wore Really? Yeah. She right. wore. <clears throat> she wore a yellow button-up shirt, but it was just so tight that you could see the muffin top. It looked as if the buttons were ready to pop off. See, I told you she wouldn't like it. I wanted to wear the... Oh. I wanted to wear the blue one. She said, twitching her right ear. It looks fine, honey. I just think you might want to wear one that's a little bigger. <laughs> Bridget said this is her favorite t-shirt. Oh, She's wearing kindergartner clothes. And I should wear it today because it makes me look pretty. That's so fucked up. She's wearing her <clears throat> dead sister's clothing. clothing. Where are the parents and all of this? I know! That's gonna be a twist. They're gonna be like dead already right. or something. She starts wearing mommy's clothes and like puts <laughs> lipstick and pearls on dad with a tie. <laughs> My skin began to crawl. That was when I first realized that she was wearing Bridget's clothes, which had not changed since kindergarten. I would have, I would have to bring this up at the parent-teacher conference, along with many, many other things. Okay, so let's see if they fucking show up to the parent-teacher right. conference. It's, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's gonna be her with like one half the dad and one half the mom, like, and just turning it's, on the yeah, side. Yeah, it's gonna be her, like, she paid a classmate to do the whole, like, sit, stand, sit on the shoulders thing. Oh, so yeah. It's, like it's a, three kids in a trench coat. Three kids in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
on Wednesdays. Hello, I am Mr. Mrs. Abigail's yes, mom, uh, Dad. <laughs> I work at the uh, business of, um... I work at the place thing and I, I drive a car. I do good business. Let's talk numbers. <laughs> My phone number is... <laughs> on Wednesdays, we wear pink. On Wednesdays, it was my turn to patrol the lunchroom while the students ate. Abigail sat alone on the corner of one of the long tables. Her lunchbox zipped open in front of her, and its innards strewn across the table. She had set the seat beside her as well, placing portions of food on the table in front of it. She took a bite of a sandwich, and something multicolored fell out onto the floor. It was a gummy worm, half green, half orange. What is that you're eating, Abigail? I asked, poking around the rest of her lunchbox, finding a few candy bars, a baggie of sugary cereal that my own parents wouldn't let me eat, and a bottle of chocolate milk. Lunch, Miss Mary! We made our own recipe! Your own? Do you pack your own lunch, Abigail? What does your mother say about gummy worm sandwiches? We pack it every day, she said proudly, and Mommy doesn't like it, but I don't really listen to Mommy anymore. Abigail, you need to listen to your mother. I'll buy you a hot lunch today. What about Bridget? She can have extra of your special lunch. I clenched my teeth as I watched her eat. What type of parent lets their child eat junk every day? And dress in clothes that obviously didn't fit, especially since it was her only daughter still left alive. On Parents Teacher Day, Abigail's mother and I would be having a long talk. Next Wednesday, I caught Abigail eating gummy worms again. Now I bought her lunch every day, and every day she packed lunch for Bridget. Abigail's mother had the 7.30 p.m. time slot on the Parent Teacher Day, it was my last conference, and I had scheduled it late so I could spend extra time with her. I watched the analog clock in the corner. Right now it was 7.29. But parents often showed up late to meetings. Five minutes passed, and then ten, and then thirty. I shook with anger when I got up from my desk. The negligence of Abigail's mother was appalling. Opening up the directory I kept in my drawer, I ripped out Abigail's contact information. Like it or not, her mother would be having the conference. The drive was short, about five minutes, and I pulled into Abigail's driveway. Her house was on the top of a small hill, higher than any of the others around it, and a dead oak tree stood in one corner. That's no tree. That's your mama. <laughs> Kill me! <laughs> She's, like, alive in it. The face is like, shaking. Like, don't be the snowman. The the grass was high and uncut, while the flowers under the porch were wilting. I rang the doorbell twice and waited. I heard Abigail thumping down the stairs. Try to masturbate! Oh, goddammit. And a moment later, the blinds flicked open to reveal her eyes. Miss Mary, come in! She said, opening the door wide. Hello, Abigail. Is your mother home? She missed her parent-teacher conference. Oh, yes, Miss 
Miss Mary. She said she didn't feel like going out tonight. I clenched my teeth again and struggled to keep my voice even. Did she now? Can you take me to her? Of course, she said and whipped around, leading me to the kitchen. My nose wrinkled. Whatever Abigail's mother had cooked for dinner smelled disgusting. We turned the corner, and I saw her seated at the kitchen table, her back towards me, and I felt my anger surge. I have every right to report you to child services. If you continue treating your daughter like this, then I will have no choice, I scolded. Sitting in the chair next to her and turning to her face, the smell wasn't dinner. The smell was Abigail's dead mother. What was left of the skin on her face was taut, and much of her hair had fallen out, littering the floor around her. In front of her was a moldy cup and an empty bottle of prescription sleeping pills. I froze, and Abigail embraced her mother, knocking one of her hands off the table to fall motionless at her side. I stood. Backing away slowly, there was a video recorder plugged in on the counter and its flashing red light blinked at me. Abigail, honey, how, how long has your mother been like this? I asked, carefully choosing my words. Like what, Miss Mary? Here, at this table? No, dead. How long has she been dead, my thoughts screamed. up every once in a while but she stays at the kitchen a lot more than she used to and she's been sitting in my seat during dinner she pouted crossing her arms across her chest a fly buzzed around her mother's head but she still didn't notice she was busy holding her mother's shriveled hand it's cause she still hears her mom like walking around and talking yeah. and it's like of course her mom you know is saying like don't eat fucking gummy worms you stupid fucking you you fat bitch <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like no <coughs> no fuck you bitch it's my body I do what I want I do what I want Abigail how about you give me a few minutes alone with your mother you go watch TV in the other room okay Miss Mary she left and I waited until I saw the blue green glow of the television before flipping open the video recorder. In the corner, the last recorded day flashed and I counted back the days. 37. My God, I thought, and I pressed play. The screen flickered to life and Abigail's mother's face materialized. Her eyes were puffy and tear tracks from her mascara streaked down her face. I recognized Bridget's old locket in her hand. I can't do it anymore. She said into the camera, It's too much. I'd be able to take it without my dad's death or the, the things that are happening. I think I'm going crazy. But Abigail, something's happening to Abigail. Something's wrong and I can't live to see it happen. Abigail! She called. And Abigail came into the picture. Her mother held two cups. Abigail, I made you some juice. Would you drink it with me? But mommy, Bridget wants a glass too.
Of course she does. And I saw fear cross her face. Here, drink it up. Are you okay, Mommy? Yes, everything's fine. Drink all of it. I put some vitamins in there. Bridget says this is hers. Just drink it. And at that moment, Abigail's voice changed and the recorder's lighting changed. Maybe it was the lighting. But Abigail's hair looked darker than before. Okay, Mommy. I saw her drink it. And I heard the empty cup hit the table. Where's mine? She asked. You just drank it, murmured her mother. Her own medicine was starting to take effect. No, Bridget drank that one. She said it was the sweetest drink she's ever had. I want one too. But her mother was already asleep. Abigail failed to notice. And for the next 15 minutes, upheld conversation with her mother. Then the recorder's lighting dimmed. Her voice changed, and she looked straight to the camera. Mommy is with me now. She smiled as the recording expired. This explained the mismatched clothes and the lunches. Abigail, I said, calling her back from the other room. What happened to you the night your mother brought you juice? Did you get sick off of it? No, Miss Mary. She never gave me any juice. What have you been eating, Abigail? Who's been doing your laundry? Bridget does everything now. Mother helps sometimes. And they braid my hair. I shivered. The style she used were too complicated for her to do alone. Come, Abigail, you're staying with me tonight. Fuck not, nah, man. Child services. Sorry. Is that okay, <laughs> Mommy? Said Abigail, cocking her ear. Alright, if you say so. I'll be home before dinner tomorrow. Maybe the pills had expired. Maybe her mother forgot to spike her glass. The possibilities ran through my mind as we left behind her house with the dead oak, the dead flowers, and the dead mother. But in my heart, I could feel what had transpired. And the thought, it terrified me. I knew what I had to do next. I had to adopt Abigail. That's where it ends. Really? That doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't. But if there's an, if there are more parts, I will find them. That's, an, that's where we're going to stop now. But that's fucking creepy. Oh, there's more parts. There are three more parts. Okay. So we'll do three more parts in another episode. All right. But this is the kind of thing like <clears throat> there's there's a clear there's a clear ending to at least this part that we could pick up from next time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll keep that open to remind myself. The story that is we have to come back to it. It is very it is very intriguing. I like the kind of almost research they've done on clairvoyance and um. And twins and stuff, because that's not the first time... I forget what source, but that's not the first time I've seen someone possessed do something that should kill them, and then when unpossessed, it does... You know, they don't uh. They don't die. I forget what source. It's probably something like Supernatural, um, but for the life of me, I can't think of it. And 
I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so well written and you, mm, I say give the kid to child services, but like, it, it really does depend on like how helpless and cute this kid probably is, you know? Because yeah, that would probably make me feel, uh, guilty enough to be, to, to feel responsible for the kid. Yeah, and you, I mean, you've seen every struggle. You've you've been there the most. You're arguably the reason you... Uh, when they found out that the kid had to change schools, they literally said, well, this teacher is going to be able to help her the most. So when they found out that the other school was going to fire him, they literally just said, no, like, bring her here. What we know about this kid is, like, <clears throat> she's going to need help. It's crazy to see how it's going to continue to unfold. Yeah, uh, I th- evidently there are three more parts that I know of, so we'll we'll read the rest of them and maybe another short yeah. thing on another part. But um, I don't think it's going to be the next episode. So we'll we'll come back in the nineties before uh, before episode one hundo, the okay. big one hundo. Um, to finish off the, the Lucienne twins. I will have to see how many parts there are, because if there are like seven or eight or something, we'll, we might just finish Lucienne twins another day. But um, this reminds me of Bedtime a lot. Bedtime was kind of about kids, uh, or, or a kid, dealing with something that was just completely out of their grasp. Yeah. And this one has the same kind of feeling that you relate to everyone involved and you just you just wish that they'd make less stupid mistakes this teacher has seen this shit happen so many times that wouldn't you wouldn't you think to maybe i don't know like i find that the bully thing doesn't work when you make the kids deal with each other a lot. I think, like, if you were to sit the bully next to the fucking nerd and, like, watch them like a fucking hawk, you know, all year, don't you think their their relationship would improve? We always think separate, <clears throat> keep them apart, you know, draw lines in the fucking sand, but don't you think the system would be better counteracted by making them have to fucking deal with each other? It's an interesting thought. But. I'm just saying, like, putting her by herself, window, wall, whatever the fuck, obviously not the best. Yeah, I mean, for it's, her. It's, a, it's definitely something interesting to think about. Connection with the parent is something the government or the school system or something with the shit that has happened in this girl's life would make sure that this parent is being responsible long before 37 days would come into effect. I know it's the point of a writer to be, like, shocking and surprising, but that is completely implausible. The house payments, um, credit, car, like, there's so... Being an adult and knowing how many people are constantly looking for you, that can only go on for so long. If that parent missed from work for a week, or perhaps a parent or a friend, or something. She just lost a fucking kid. Someone is gonna be looking for her and, and looking out for the kid, right? Like, just someone. But they're implying that absolutely no one gives a shit. And that's just so hard for me to fucking understand. Well, technically, she killed herself 37 days when the, before, you know, after the recording. So this would have been after the 
incident with the hand. So at this point, it they was, should be on someone's fucking <clears throat> spotlight. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But you know, if the mom says everything's under control and she's got it, and then kills herself, no one's gonna think of anything. She's still coming to school. How did you? Th- what did you think about the fucking carry thing that happened there? She threw it perfectly, and it fucking daggered. Hits, hits the board table. and then comes back and yeah that was crazy. That's some like Stephen King. It's like some Kobe shit. Bullshit. Yeah, that's awesome. I liked it a lot. It's a fun story. Uh, what it, you're enjoying yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll come back to it. I'll remember to come back to it before a hundred. You know, um, what I just realized though. What's up? We never introduced ourselves in the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Absolutely not. Yeah, we absolutely did. I introduced myself. Yeah, but I heard you do that, and then we, I, we did the whole "this is lots of pasta" episode eighty eight thing. Like they know it's. Hey guys, you always do this at the end of the fucking episode, and I always have to fucking cut it. You're just like you, you haven't said our names, and I'm just like, motherfucker, I've been saying your name repeatedly for an hour and a half. You know, you know, you know what is good about 88, though? That's the number of keys on a piano. Is it really? Yeah. Interesting. What do you think the Lucienne twins would play on the piano? Chopsticks? I feel like they would play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, Movement 1. You're making me Google. No, they would be playing this, bitch. No, Hitler's favorite composer. Oh, I know, I know the Beethoven symphony. They're, they're. Well, it's not a symphony, so it, it's, it's your first problem. But uh, it's a movement. The Moonlight Sonata. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes. Now please stop playing it before we get fucking copyrighted. Oh shit! I mean. <laughs> It was less than 30 seconds. I'm just saying, Hitler's... Hitler's <laughs> you made me Google it. It's Hitler's favorite composer is Wagner. Wagner, yeah, because he's yeah. awful. He's, he's an awful human Google's being. German. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. He also didn't like the Jews. Yeah, no, that's the point. So, uh, this was episode 88. We read uh, my, my Stupid Fucking Cellar. My Stupid... Anyone can well, have a Stupid Well, you see this wall? Cellar. You see this wall right here? We're gonna blow this wall out. Create a nice... Open, open concept basement down here for you guys. Nice open concept. Hi, I'm I'm uh, Sellers in my eyes, Johnson. I, I all I know is that everything is a cellar, but I don't know where I'm going. And oh boy, we've got lots of sellers here. They could be worth one dollar, zero dollars, anything. But everything is hot and on fire, and I feel everything. And I I am Sellers in my eyes. Uh, Gestalt also likes to do it's my eyes, Johnson. <laughs> Something you guys have in common. Yeah, this is Captain Death and Franz McBoohoo. Uh signing out. And uh you know what? We're serving up fresh hot pasta. Mm. And if you're uh mm-hmm. vegetarian, yep. Jewish pasta. Jewish pasta. Come on and join in and we're gonna end the show right now. I didn't enjoy this. Because <laughs> you're a cunt. <laughs>